Good morning, everyone. It's really good to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us and worshiping uh, Jesus Christ. That's who we're going to be talking about right now. And it's Sharefest Celebration Sunday. So if you see a shirt like this around, you saw someone who's uh, volunteered in our community to do landscape overhauls for the Topeka 501 schools. No strings attached. We did that last week. We had over 1,200 people show up or from 20 different churches in the Topeka area to share the love of Jesus. And uh, we're going to show a video at the end of this service, so stay tuned for that. We're uh, glad you're here, and I'd invite you to open up into Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 14, as we continue our series entitled, United in Christ. We've been united, as we looked at last week, into a mission, a mission of God to share His truth and love with everyone in this world. It's a mission that uh, proclaims the message, and here's the message. God wants to save you. And it's you're not saved by your works. You're not saved by coming to church. You're not saved by giving in the offering. You're not saved by trying to live the good life. Everything you need to be saved has been provided to you by Jesus Christ. And it's in faith in Jesus Christ that you're saved. Because He came here and lived the perfect life, a life you could not live. He's the one who died on a cross to pay a price you could not pay. Even with your death, you couldn't pay that price. And He's the one who rose from the grave. And it's His power that He wants to give to us, not only to understand that message, but then to move that message through our lives into others. So we not only need to receive the gospel and live the gospel, we need to give the gospel and join the movement of advancing the gospel all around the world today. As we do that, Paul's going to explain what's the greatest thing you need to to accomplish this task. He's going to teach us how to ask God, and he's going to show us what to ask God as we're involved in advancing the gospel across this world today. You know, when someone asks me, Pastor, what's the best thing I can do for you? The greatest thing I can say is this. You can pray for me. That's the greatest thing you can do for for the accomplishment of the gospel going into the lives of people is to pray. We need to be a praying people, a praying church. The greatest thing I can do for my wife is to pray for her. The greatest thing I can do for my children is to pray for them. The greatest thing I can do for my church is to pray for you. Because in it, we recognize that everything that we're going to need to accomplish life and to advance the gospel is going to come from God. Paul's going to teach us how to do that. And by the way, don't you like to be asked from people you love for things? I remember when my uh, kids were, were really little and we were just teaching them the responsibility of cleaning their rooms. And I'd love it when my little five or six-year-old little boy would come and go, Daddy, help me, help me clean my room. And I just thought, that was so awesome. He's thinking about cleaning his room. Wish that kept with them right now, you know. But at five, it was big and I was just there to help. And I loved that. Now it's a lot of, Dad, I need some money, you know. I don't know that I like that question a lot, but I... I like the questions now. Dad, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think about that? Dad, I, I have a friend and I don't know what to do in this. Would you ha- give me some wisdom with what I could say to that friend to encourage them? I love those types of requests. And God loves us to ask. He loves us to ask. So Paul developed the pattern in his life to pray boldly. To ask boldly from God. 
Not to just go around and, you know, help me have a good day, help the weather to be good so the soccer game isn't canceled. No, it's bold prayers of faith that advance God's purposes in the world today. And he aligned himself with God, joined this mission, and joined this movement of Christ followers across the world and prayed boldly. We need to be that. And Paul's going to teach us how to do that this morning. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. He says this, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power in your inner being, through his spirit in your inner being. Let's just pause there. Because he's going to show us, why do we ask in the first place? Why would we ask of things from God? And he's going to say two things. Number one, you're, we're united. We're united to, to a relationship with God and each other through Jesus Christ. We have a relationship with God. Paul says here, I bow my knees before the Father. He refers to God as Father. That's a relationship. 42 times in Paul's 13 letters, he mentions the name of God as Father. And eight of them in Ephesians. He's uniting us to a relationship. Not a religion. A relationship with God. Who is a loving Father. Who is working out His plan. That even began before the foundation of the world. To unite all things in Him. And so we need to not be detached from our Father, our Heavenly Father. We need to be engaged that we're united in Christ to each other also, not just to our Father. Since we're all children of God the Father through Jesus Christ, we now have a blood relationship. It was His blood that joins us together. We're related. You're now, if you believe in Christ, my brother or my sister. We're related. And because we're part of the same family... We all serve the same Father. But it's not just God's relationship for us that we ask. It's also God's resources. His relationship and His resources that He offers to us. Here Paul says that it's according to the riches of His glory that He grants you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. That's the target of our lives, that God always targets Before the externals, he targets the internal, our hearts. It's the renovation, the restoration of our hearts that God is most interested in, in our lives. And so we can be very consumed with external appearances. We can be very consumed with what we have and material possessions. God is first and foremost concerned about the condition of your heart. Many Christians pray for a car or for their house or for a position, or for an income, or for something for their kids, and they ignore over and over the condition of their hearts. That's the first thing. That's the most important. And by the way, that's the most important part of who you are, your spiritual being. It's your spiritual life that's the single most important part of who you are because it will last forever. Look at me. Look at me. I'm losing my hair, okay? This body is deteriorating in time. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Others of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But this is eroding, okay? The greatest thing I can be doing with my life, besides hair replacement, is to work work on my heart, right? It's That's the heart of the matter. 
is the heart of the matter. God is focused on our hearts. And Paul prayed that your heart, your heart would be open to the power of God that God pours through on the spirit. And God provides all that. Everything you need for a renovated heart, he provides in Jesus Christ. So he is that God who says, I have what you need. And I have the relationship through Christ with you. So based on his relationship with you and his resources that he has for you, he says, ask, ask me. I had an old uncle and he was an old Arab uncle. That really makes him special. In Milwaukee, Wisconsin, we would get together growing up on Christmas Eve. And that's the primary time I would see this old great uncle. And uh, he would sit down in a chair and he would, you know, he was, he could barely walk and he'd sit down in a chair and he ran a grocery store in Milwaukee. And something about Arab grocers. I mean, they had a lot of cash in their, in their pocket. If you went to their store, we'd always see this. And someone gave them a bill that they had to cut change. They'd just reach in their pocket and pull out the change to do that. It's kind of old school, you know, accounting. But that's how they did that. And of course, they didn't have to pay taxes if they did it that way. So it would sit down and, and all the grandchildren and nieces and nephews, they would line up and there'd be this big long line. And have you ever seen that movie, The Big Fat Greek Wedding? Okay. That was my house. It was loud and it was boisterous and everyone was running. The only time it was quiet was when someone prayed for the meal on Christmas Eve. Me and my cousin Mikey would wait for uncle to sit down because when he sat down, the tradition would happen. He'd reach out, pull up this big wad of cash and he'd hand out $5 bills to every one of those kids. And we were waiting. We were waiting, you know, after dinner's happened, sometime after dinner and dessert. And Mikey and I would just stand, wait, has, has uncle sat down yet? Because we were ready to get first in line. And sure enough, uncle would sit down and whoop, we do it. And the whole line would go. And he would go, come here, Habibis, which means beloved ones. And we would line up and I would, you know, thank you, uncle. And I had to endure the Arab kiss. And the Arab kiss is a kiss on both sides of the cheek as a kid. You know, I'm nine years old and I'm getting a slobbery old man kiss on me. And so I go like this, but I got the five dollars. Mikey and I would get this and we walk out and we go, yes. And all of a sudden, just as we got our five, Mikey goes, hey, let's get back in line. He's old. He won't notice. So we got back in line and we went through and sure enough, come here, Habibi, gave us kisses on both sides and we walked away with two five dollar bills and we went, yes, yes. And my brother went, no. Unjust, you know, my four-year-old, bro- four-year-old older brother who would correct me on that, and and uncle looked, and the whole room got hushed as two eight-year-olds held up two five-dollar bills, and uncle looked over and saw what we had done, and he burst into laughter. Oh, yeah, it's okay, babies. And all the kids went, "What about our second five? <laughs> you see, God has all the resources we need. So many times, what we need in our lives, we don't even ask. And there is God. It's okay, Habibi. Ask. Ask. We're asking for far too small things in our lives. And the God of the universe who has unlimited resources wants to bless our lives and be empowered through our lives if we would just ask. 
When you see Jesus, don't you want him to say, thank you for praying boldly. It was such an awesome to use, awesome experience to use my resources and to throw my power through your little life wherever you are. That's what you want, God. You're going, you want him to hold you as a trophy throughout eternity. This is someone who asked great things from me. I was able to show the world my love through this person. You want that. All of us who believe in Jesus want that. So ask. Now, what do we ask for? Paul's going to show us that. Let's continue reading. Verse 17, it says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, there's three things that should fill the content of our prayer that Paul is going to teach us. And that he prayed on his knees before the Father regularly for the church in Ephesus. And they've been, uh, it's been a prayer that I have prayed for you as I prepared for this. The number one thing we can pray for is, first of all, Christ's presence to dwell in me. We need to be praying that. Christ, may your presence dwell in my life. Look at what Paul says. He says, he prayed that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Now, uh, Paul uses a Greek word that we don't necessarily catch in the English. It's the word in English that we have as dwell. But in Greek, it means kata oikeo, which means that someone comes down into and dwells as the, as the primary residence inside of a home. It's the owner of the home. And when they live in the home, the owner lives in the home and leads in that home. That's what he's talking about, Jesus. That Jesus would live in your life so strongly that everyone would know he's in charge. That everyone would know he's the leader, he's the owner. And isn't isn't that a picture that God wants to do? He wants to show where the architect comes and lives in the home, where the contractor comes and lives in the home. He crafted us. He designed us where he lives in us and is shown through us by his simple presence in our lives. We need to be praying. God, may your presence be shown in me. Jesus is not someone that I give an extra room in my life right above the garage to. He's not someone that I stow away down in the basement and I lock the door and I open it up on a Sunday morning and go to church and then I ask him, please go back in there. I don't want anyone to know. He's someone that when he lives in my life, people see him, people know him. And when Paul prayed for the presence of Christ to dwell in your life, that people would see Jesus in you, in you and working through you. It's that picture. And this requires that we have an awareness. Paul says that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. That's how we have awareness. That when we believe in Jesus, the presence of God is in our hearts. You know, nothing about this is new. Nothing about this is new. In, in, in the Garden of Eden, God created man and woman to live with him in that garden so that God would dwell with them, would dwell with them. He would live with them. And, and the world would see that relationship between humanity and divinity. And that would work and show the big picture of who God is. But we walked away. Instead of wanting God in our home, we kicked him out. And Adam and Eve did that. 
They walked away from God. But God is relentless. He continued to want to dwell with humanity. So as Moses and the children of Israel are in in the wilderness, God said, construct a tabernacle. And in that tabernacle, you'll put the Ark of the Covenant, which will be my presence with you. It's going to be a symbol that I'm with you. It's a physical symbol of a reality that I'm always with you. I want to dwell with my people. And when Solomon constructed the temple in Israel, God wanted that temple there to show all the nations that he was with his people. This is his house that he dwells. And when Jesus came on this earth, his name was Emmanuel, which means God with us. God to dwell with us. And that's what Jesus did. He lived with us on this earth. And when he rose from the grave, he sent the Holy Spirit to come and reside in the hearts of the believers so that God would be with you. He would literally dwell in you. And when Jesus returns physically and the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven, he will restore everything and make all wrongs right in him and unite all things in him. And book of book of Revelation says, and we will dwell with the Lord forever. This is something that we're a part of because God loves to dwell with his people. We need to be aware of that. Secondly, we need to be open to his leadership. This means that we're, uh, he's the leader in our lives. He's not someone that we keep hung on the wall as a little thing of this is who I am. But no, this is whose I am. I'm his. And he leads my life. And he's the ruler of my home. My life. My thoughts. My attitudes. My actions. My words. Jesus, his presence is going to be revealed through me. I'm open to him leading. So let me just ask you, what kind of review would you get right now if God was reviewing his stay in your life? You know how you stay at a hotel or you're looking at a hotel and you check out the reviews first and you hear, boy, there was a smell coming from my room and I had no idea, but I didn't like this place. We look on reviews. How would God review dwelling in your life? Oh, it was a tough time living in that home. The room was cramped. The music was crazy. The shows on television, the noise of hurry, the uncleanliness around me. What's your rating? What would God say about dwelling in your home, in your life? We need to be open to his leadership. And then when we're open to his leadership, we need to trust that what he's going to do in our homes, what he's going to do in our lives is worth it. We trust him, giving him full reign in our lives. Lord, dwell in me. If you're a parent right now, pray that for your child right now. Just as you think of them, just in this time, let's pause. Lord, may your presence dwell richly in my children. If you're married right now, Lord, may your presence, may... May my husband or my wife understand that you're with them. And and may they have full reign in their lives. If you have a friend, Lord, may that friend know your presence. Pray the presence of Christ that he might dwell in the lives of the people around us. Secondly, Paul asks that, um, that God's love would thrive in me. Not only that God's presence would 
would dwell in me, but God's love would thrive in me. Look at how he says this. He says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. You see, when Christ is dwelling in us and he's free to dwell in us, guess what our house becomes? Guess what our lives become? They become more about love. They become more about God's love. When he's leading, I'm going to become more like him. I'm going to see his love. And Paul is saying, I pray that you would understand this concept. I pray that you would comprehend it, that you would know it, that it would overflow. He says, I pray that you would be rooted like a tree and and you would be getting your strength and support from the love of God, that you would be grounded like a building, that it would be built on a firm foundation, which isn't easily shook. And it endures through all the trials and all the circumstances. But that greatest exclamation point of your life would be love. That people would see it. That God would be reflected in it by how you love. Because the power of God's love is the power to defeat sin in our lives. The power to defeat sin in your life came because God is loving. If he were not loving, we'd all be judged and we'd face his wrath eternally. But because he's loving, I don't know why, don't ask me, I don't know. But because he's loving, we have salvation. It's the power to save in our lives. But it's also the power to set us free from sin. Is this love relationship you have with God. Now, I've been going to church since I can remember. And I've been a part of a lot of different churches. But there was a time I was a part of a church that basically said, be good. God is good. Be good. Don't do bad. See you next week. And it was a basis. The basis of that was more on legalism. <coughs> Excuse me. Where my whole focus was don't mess up. Because I had a view of God that he was out there up in heaven going, okay, Hishma messes up. See on his algebra test. <laughs> Got him back. You know? And so I was always looking over my shoulder. And it wasn't a relationship. It was more of a religion. More of a burden on my back to perform and not mess up. Some of you know what it's like to be in a relationship where you just don't want to mess up because you'll get the wrath of someone. You'll tick them off. And they're an angry person. You have to deal with the burden of that, of that angry person around you. You know what I'm talking about. It's a lousy motive in life to be good because you don't want to mess up and get something bad in your life. But when you love someone, when you love Jesus with your life, and he's worth it to you, and he's dwelling well in you, you do things because you love to do it. You do things because you realize it's best for you. And it's so much better in the Christian life not to just try to manage sin, but to allow the movement of God's love to go through our lives. It's the power to defeat sin. It's also a power to transform life. It transforms not only my life, but people around me. I look at this and it really changes the way I view everything since I see God's love in my life. Everything and everyone. See, God loves me and he gives me commands and he calls me to a life that's life-giving, not destructive. Will it always be easy? No. But it's always been worth it when I've followed him. When I've made difficult decisions to stand for him or to follow him when it didn't make sense to me. It's transformed my life. 
when I share the gospel right now, it's not, it's not I'm right, you're wrong. That's not the motive I do it. it. I do it because the love of God has so transformed my life. And it's nothing because of what I've done or who I am. It's all because of who God is and what he's done on the cross for me. And I want everyone to have that. I look at all the major religions of the world and everyone is performing. Everyone's trying to be good enough so that God looks down and goes, okay, that was good enough. And your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. So now you're in and now you're out. And that's a burden. I hate that way of viewing God. It's false. The Bible calls us to a new way. And it's, it's all based on the love of God for us. That transforms our lives. I don't want just people to be saved from hell. I want them also to walk with Jesus. I want people to trust in him. I want Jesus Christ as the single most relationship, important relationship in everyone's life. Because it's the love of God shown through the gospel that transforms us. And thirdly, it's the power to love without limits. Paul talks about it with four different measurements. He says the, the breadth, first of all, of God's love. Where God's love is as wide as the world. Here God, through Christ, joined Jew and Gentile. No nationality, no socioeconomic, no race. Division in our world can prevent the gospel, the love of God. God loving people. Nothing. Nothing. Because it's wide as the world. He talks about the length, that it's long in time, that even in eternity and even in eternity past, God has been loving. There was no time when God said, okay, I'm going to decide to love. He's love and he's always been loving. It can be traced back in ancient times. It's traced even through the scriptures in the Old Testament and it's traced even to the end of time where the love of the Lord reigns forever. There's no limit to the length of love. The height, it's high as heaven. It, it's, it's this whole picture of that now through Christ, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. The love of God. God is loving in heaven and he reaches down to earth to love us and even the depth. That love is deep as hell. It goes down to hell and it's Jesus conquered our hell for us. That we were once dead in our sins, but through Christ we're now alive to God. See, that's the picture. Wide is the world, long is eternity, high is heaven, deep is hell. The love of God knows no limit. So don't limit it. Don't limit it. How much of God's love do you want? Well, that's the measure that you'll love. Lord, I just want to love people who look like me, who talk like me, who can share my experiences with me, and I can have intelligent conversations with according to me. See, you will love really shallow if that's your grid. The love of God comes in and says, Lord, help me to love people who aren't like me. Help me to love people who don't think like me, even politically. <gasps> yeah, it's killing us. Even spiritually. See, we're called to love without limits. 
Because the gospel feeds on God's love. And when we're willing to take it to a place we normally wouldn't want to go, but we would, we grow in that love. See, you want a you therapy for getting out of a boring Christian life? You love without limits. You want a therapy for spiritual complacency and complaining and negativity and critical spirits? You start loving the way Jesus loves. And what you will find is this last thing. You will see God fill you with more love. Look what Paul says. He says that we would all be filled with the fullness of God. We we pray then not only for God's presence to dwell in me and his love to thrive in me, but his character to fill me. Each one of these involves the Trinity. We have God's Christ's presence to, to dwell in us. We have God the Father's love to flow through us and we have the Spirit filling us. They're all related. As Christ dwells in you, guess what happens? You love. And as you love, the Spirit fills your life. Why? Because you need more love. And only God can provide that love for you. So if you're thinking, boy, I just need to be nice to someone who's an enemy. No, that's beyond your resources. That's over-resourced for me. I need God's resources to pour through my life. And we're promised that when we ask for it, the Spirit fills us to the measure of God. We start loving like Him. More of love will give me more of God. Think of it. You've got this pipe and it's attached to a tank. And it wants to pour out water. And if you stop it and you say, nope, I don't want to love anymore. Guess what happens to the tank? It doesn't empty and it doesn't refill. It just stagnates, right? So many of us live like that. Just want to love people. It makes sense for me to do it. We pour little teacups of water. We don't let the love of God flow through us. You are meant to be that. And God says, love, love. My love will fill and it will go wide as the earth, long as eternity, high as heaven, deep as hell. To conquer sin. To draw people to Christ. So what do you want to experience? Just a little bit of God or a lot of God that's connected to how much I'm willing to love. Not how much I learn. I mean, learning is good. We do need knowledge, but we need to experience God's love because that's where he pours it through our lives. And it requires, as a result, to love more. I have to empty myself. It requires the emptying of myself. Just as in a a water tank, how when water comes out, you know, if it's empty, you've got to fill up, but that oxygen has to leave. You have to leave a little bit. You have to die in order to live with Jesus. You've got to die to your way, to even your preferences sometimes. If it's preventing you from loving. And if we're going to love deeply, we're going to be able to go to some of the dark places in Topeka and shine the love of God in those places. We're going to have to empty ourselves. If you're going to go across the cubicles to love that person who's not very loving and you're going to show them Jesus, Jesus, you're going to have to empty your preference to do it. But what do you get? You get more of God, right? You see more of his love. And, and so as Christ dwells in you and as 
uh, God loves through you, guess what happens? You receive the filling more of God through, uh, through loving. The more of the reign of Christ, the more of God I receive. The more I love, the more love of God I get. See, God's the one who's going to source you in his love. And the gospel, like I've said, the gospel thrives on the love of God. We need to be that. So my question is, wider, longer, higher, deeper, what's your prayer for the love of God in your life? Some of you right now, you, you know people you're struggling with. You know exactly the anger. You know all the hurt that they've done in you. And you know it's like walking around like this on a weekly basis because of that. Maybe an employer, maybe an employee, maybe a relative, maybe even a spouse or an ex-spouse. How far do you want to love that person? Well, if I can just you know, keep them to the side, keep them out of the way and out of my conversation, everything will be okay. No, no that's not how it works because that spills over too. I have a really little anger tank. It doesn't take much to set it off in all the other relationships in my life if I'm not careful. How deep do you want to love? So these three things to pray for, think about what could happen if we simply prayed them daily for ourselves and for each other as a church. Christ, dwell in me. God, love through me. Spirit, fill me. Paul says, this is what will happen as we ask this. Verse 20 says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you see what we're being connected to? We're being connected to a whole group of people who took God at his word and boldly asked. He said, trace it. I've done wonderful Great things throughout history with people who've asked. Asked for a greater presence of me in their lives, a more powerful love of me through their lives, and a greater filling of me in their hearts. That's the picture. It really is life beyond all that we ask or think. When we ask, be assured, God answers this prayer. And he answers it far beyond what you could ask or think. In other words, you will never know. In other words, over and above what you ask, God provides. Does God really work like this? When I choose to love, does he really work over and above, far beyond all I could ask or think? Well, her name is Janet Pfeiffer. And she goes here to Fellowship Bible Church. She's a wonderful woman. She worked for 41 years in the labor and delivery room here at Stormont Vale. And she, if you know Janet, when you meet her, you're going to find that she's, it's all about Jesus in her life. And you're going to be loved. And that's what she did in her job. She loved women who were giving birth to children for 41 years. 25 years ago, a woman came in and she had been hemorrhaging. She was um, in, in labor with her second child, a little girl. And this uh, child was at risk and they stabilized her. They gave her a C-section and she delivered this child. She, this child had to develop for eight weeks in the hospital. 
And this mother stayed with this child, and Janet loved this mother. She heard things like, oh, sweetie, it's going to be okay. Or, hey, I prayed for you today. And I was just praying and thanking God for you. And I know that Jesus is going to help your little baby. And, and uh, just she called her uh, honey and all those sweetie words that you can think of. Janet used. They're just part of who she was. And her face would just beam the love of Jesus. Well, this little girl developed and she was dismissed from the hospital and life went on for them as Janet continued to love other families. And last fall, 25 years after this little girl was born, she's now an adult woman. And her mother, who's also named Janet, um, is also here in the Topeka area. And Janet and her husband, Jerry, um, the nurse, were their garage door broke. And Janet is now retired from that. So she, she called a garage repair place. And on the other line was that woman who gave birth to her daughter 25 years previous. Janet answered the phone and goes, Janet, she had remembered from 25 years previous the woman who loved her while she was in the hospital. And Janet, if you spend time talking with Janet, it always comes around Jesus. And Janet talked to her about Jesus. And now, as a result of that, Janet and her husband, Kelly, are here. Part of our family. You see, that's the number one reason Fellowship Bible Church is growing. is because you make a decision to deepen your love by loving people. And you trust God with everything he's going to do on that. So when you make a decision to love a high school student by just spending time with them and earning the right to be heard and sharing the gospel while you love them. If you make time to love a neighbor and to share some time and make some hospitality just where they can be at home, in your home, and eventually, maybe someday, you share Christ with them. If you at your work and you work with people in crisis can just love people with the love of Jesus... You have no idea what God is going to do with that. And we could just talk about all the stories in our lives. In every service, I'm looking around, I see people who are here because Janet Pfeiffer loved people. What's going to be your legacy with the love of God? Well, it has to be intentional, doesn't it? We have to be praying. The presence of Christ to dwell in me. The love of God to thrive in me. And the spirit of God to fill me. Beyond all that we could ask or think. Let's pray. For this reason. I bow my knees before the father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory. He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.